Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Al D. This is a show designed for aspiring current and former MBAs looking for advice on how you can grow your career through an MBA degree. During each episode, I'll talk to MBA students, graduates, and leaders about the MBA experience, navigating the workplace, and career development so you can learn how to develop and achieve your own version of career success through an MBA and beyond. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today's guest is Nathan Tanner. Nathan is no stranger to the MBA Insider Podcast and generally the MBA School community. We featured his story many times, both on the blog as well as the podcast, and he's also in the MBA Insider How to Make the Most of Your Experience book. So I'm glad to bring Nathan back on. He's recently made a career change, and during this conversation, uh, we talked about his journey, uh, his life before and after business school and how it changed as a result of going to business school at BYU and some of the things he's learned in his career since graduating from business school and now his most recent career change and pivot uh, to becoming an executive leadership coach. I uh, really enjoyed this conversation with Nathan, both about his own reflections about his career and career and leadership more broadly. Uh, so listen in. All right, Nathan, it's great to have you back. And as listeners will know, I always love starting with a warm-up question. And my warm-up question for you is what's a life experience that has influenced your own views on work and careers? Absolutely. Well, first off, thanks for thanks for having me, Al. It's always fun to, to chat with you. One big experience, and this is kind of a unique one because it's not actually a, a work or a career experience. When I was 19 years old, I did a two-year mission for my church. I went to Oklahoma. Uh, I lived there the whole time. I was paired up with uh, other people who were also doing a, doing a mission. And so many learnings came from that experience. But I think the, the biggest one, or at least the one that's relevant to my career, is I had the opportunity to see people from all walks of life. And you see people who have made good decisions in their life and the consequences that come from that. You see people who have made bad decisions in their life and the the consequences that, that come from that. You see families, you see all of these different things. And I just got so much exposure to people from all walks of life that I hadn't had before. And that experience, uh, I did one semester of college before doing that. And then I came back and I just had so much clarity on the person that I wanted to become, how I wanted to operate. I did better in school. And I feel like that really helped me mature, where before that I was a, I was a fairly, uh, fairly immature person. And uh, anyway, really, really meaningful experience for me. Well, I can see too, just given your age at that time, how having a formative experience at that point in your life can not only help you mature, but also just accelerate the maturity at such a critical point. And even just, I think, as I think of going through that and then certainly being at BYU, after you kind of graduated from BYU, uh, what were you doing or what was your first job after the mission and after being in school? And why did you actually, after working for a while, choose to go back to business school to get your MBA? Yeah. So out of, out of undergrad, I went into investment banking. Investment banks didn't recruit on campus. I worked really hard, hustled. Uh, and I got this great job at a company called Lehman Brothers, which was awesome until it wasn't. And Al, you probably remember Lehman Brothers went bankrupt in 2008. It was the largest bankruptcy in U.S. history, kind of kicked off the global financial crisis uh, in the 2009 recession that followed. 
And it was a, it was a really challenging experience for me. I then moved into a different role, non-finance role, because I ultimately lost that job. And then I, I jumped back into, into finance. And so I, I'd done, I think I'd had four, I'd worked at four companies by the time I decided to get an MBA and my career path had not gone as hoped. And I found myself about five years into my career feeling somewhat stuck, not really knowing what I wanted to do, but knowing the path that I was on was not the route that I wanted to go long-term. So anyway, that was kind of, kind of what I was, what I was up to. So I just be curious. I mean, I think getting into business school for anyone is an accomplishment, but was that a good feeling for you in terms of getting accepted into business school and, and feeling like that could be something that could give you the potential to get on the path that you wanted to be on. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had always planned on going back and getting an MBA, taking the GMAT three different times, never ultimately got the score that I hoped I would, but after three times, it's like, okay, this is, this is what it is. I, I probably beat my head against the wall enough here. I went to BYU as an undergrad. I didn't think about going back to BYU for an MBA. I planned on going to a, a different university um, but I found myself in, I think it was early May, and most of the deadlines for, I think all of the deadlines for applications had passed at that point. And it was, I just really wanted to go back. It was a time where I'm like, I'm not being served in the in the job that I'm in right now. And so I talked to the BYU admissions and they're like, oh, it's past the deadline. You can apply. And I felt pretty good about my chances. And so I had to make this decision of, do I go back and get an MBA now to BYU? I applied and got accepted. Or do I wait an entire year and kind of go through all of the application process? There's no kind of right or wrong reason for most. For me, it made sense to go right away, especially because by that, by the time I got accepted, I was it was clear enough for me that I wanted to move into the HR space, and BYU was really, really strong in that uh, in, in that field. And so, having done finance as an undergrad, it was a drastically different path. I think if I did finance as an undergrad and wanted to continue doing finance, going back to BYU probably would have made much less sense. But for the path I was going, it made a ton of sense. So I'm because I I know you. I'm, I'm happy to say I think your experience is prior to business school were not all for naught, especially because you actually used your time in business school to turn some, not to say they're bad, but to turn some good into them. I think you embarked on a project during your second semester that ended up morphing into a, a book. So would you share more about how that came to life and, and how that happened? Yeah, absolutely. So I did my MBA internship at LinkedIn and I loved loved LinkedIn. And then I worked part-time during my second year as an MBA student at LinkedIn. And part of my role was to be a campus ambassador and to teach people how to use LinkedIn, to get students on the platform. And I was spending so much time just focused on careers and helping people who were early in career. And I found in those conversations, uh, well, I when I was early in career and I was in college, like I just floundered and I felt lost. And it always seemed like everyone else had their stuff together, but I didn't. And then being in this kind of mentor experience of helping other people, I realized like everyone's kind of in this boat. And so I decided to write a career development book 
focused on college students, people early in career. And I felt like most of the advice that you get early in career are from the Richard Bransons of the world, people who have done amazing things uh, and give great advice, but are kind of hard to relate to. And so I wanted like a, a book that felt very real and authentic from someone that uh, people could relate to. And so, yeah, the book was called Not Your Parents' Workplace. It was really a lot of fun writing it and sharing all of these like mess ups and setbacks and experiences that I had and the lessons that, that came from that. Uh, it's funny, Nathan, because I just pulled out my Amazon account and it looks like I purchased your book on September 12th, 2015. Okay. And what also is funny is that I, I'm looking at the cover of your book and your quote is from Dave Ulrich. I'll be very transparent with you. Seven years ago when that came out, didn't know who he was. But given where the work I do today, I know absolutely who he is. And that's pretty cool that you got someone like Dave to, to blur about the cover of your book. So I'm just realizing that now that, that that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And that getting, uh, this may be off topic, but getting getting blurbs for the book was something that was really important to me. And I, I went to one of my professors, actually an undergrad professor, and was telling him about the project and told him that I wanted to try to find people who could write a blurb and help me to promote the book because no one no one knew me or who I was. And he was like, oh, you should have, have Dave Ulrich write a blurb for it. And I'm like, I would love to. Uh, I don't know him. Uh, and for those who don't know Dave, Dave is like the kind of HR guru, has built and defined the HR model that is used by many companies. Really, really impressive person. Anyway, I got introduced to Dave. I sent Dave a manuscript of the book and got a really special email like next day. He was like, I started reading your book. I stayed up late and finished it. I think it's great. And then he wrote, you know, some really, really nice things about it. And that actually was really touching because I felt, uh, I think we all feel imposter syndrome at times. And I really, really felt that with this project. But hearing from someone who I respected, the good things that he had to share and the impact the book had on him really, really helped me kind of finish the book and go out and go out and market uh, market that. I love that. And uh, it reminds me a little bit of Seth Godin in the sense that I've, I've heard from other people that he's very generous, particularly with new newer authors, creators, et cetera. And his only catch to it is that uh, he just wants you to have put in some of the work. And so I think like his rule of thumb is that uh, if someone reaches out to him and says, uh, or asks if he will go on their podcast, he'll say, when you get to your 100th episode, I'm happy to go on to it then. But as a result of that, there have been some people who are just, you know, everyday people trying to be podcasters who have gotten someone like Seth Godin to come on their podcast just because he all he just wants to know is that like you're committed to the craft and like you're willing to put in the work. And yeah. I saw that, you know, someone who was like written many, you know, bestseller books is is happy to to kind of come on as a guest. So I think that's I think that's pretty cool. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, so my own quick story, and then we'll, I promise we'll get back to the to the show. Yeah. I actually, for, for my book, one of the blurbs not on the cover was from the author and writer and speaker, Dory Clark. And mm. Dory has written a couple books and also is has written many articles on HBR and other places. But she and I connected at a event when I worked at Deloitte back in 2013. And I just, when I was writing the book, I reached out to her and just said, hey, Dory, you may not remember me, but 
you know, we met here and I've really enjoyed staying in touch with you. There's a section in my book that is about networking and I know that you know a thing or two about it, but I was just willing if, to see if you'd be open to reading it. And uh, if you agree with it, that it's a good book, like giving a blurb. And she responded and she was kind enough to do that and, and whatnot. And so I, I definitely have benefited too from others along the way who have yeah. been able to like read they be generous with their time yeah. and, their, uh, and reaching out. So Yeah. And what one lesson that I think is applicable to yeah. all people who are outside of the, yeah. uh, the authoring space is like, I think everyone really wants to give back and pay it forward and help other people. I found if you can approach someone in a kind way and ask them to help in a way that like, they actually like are kind of uniquely qualified to help in. And it's not just yes. some generic ask and it's done like politely and authentically. I found that more often than not, people are willing to, to, to give back. It takes a little more effort. It takes a little more personalization. People, people want to help. There's a lot of goodness out there. I, I absolutely agree. Okay. So you write the book, you graduate from business school, your first stop, I believe, is at LinkedIn, but then you've also done a couple startups after that in terms of DoorDash and most recently Neighbor. Give me some of the highlights just in terms of all three of those companies, definitely all within the realm of tech, but certainly different and unique in their own ways. Yeah. Yeah. LinkedIn just was an incredible company, fun environment. There were so many amazing leaders that I was surrounded by and mentors, people who I still talk to regularly this day. I was in love with the mission of the company. I ultimately reached the point where I felt like I wasn't growing at the rate that I wanted to be. And so that ultimately kind of led me to pursue other opportunities. And I wanted to go earlier stage because I thought that by going earlier stage, I'd have more impact. I'd have the ability to wear wear different hats and just become more of a generalist HR leader. And so I interviewed at DoorDash. I joined and that was one of like the be careful what you wish for moments of I wanted more impact and a boy, boy, did I get that. So when I joined DoorDash, there were about 250 employees. They were looking to hire like a VP level or chief people officer person. I clearly wasn't that, but they told me, we'll give you the opportunity to run the team until we hire that person. And so I really felt like I was in over my head for the first year or so until we did hire that person, but had the opportunity to learn so many different things and work with really, really exceptional people. Tony Shu, who's the CEO, uh, worked really closely with Andy Fang and Stanley Tang, the, the co-founders. And it was a really special environment because at the time, DoorDash was a Series C company. I was there through four or five different rounds of funding, there through the IPO, 20x plus headcount growth to 5,000 plus employees. And it was just like one of those very special experiences where in the moment you probably don't appreciate it and it's overwhelming and stressful, but you look back and you're like, oh my goodness, like what an incredible learning opportunity to, to be a part of that. Hey there, it's Al. And thanks so much for listening to the NBA Insider Podcast. I wanted to take a quick break to ask you a small favor. I'm loving doing this show and I hope you're enjoying it too. Unfortunately, it's still pretty hard to spread the word on podcasts and that's where I would really love your help. If you're enjoying this episode, I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes to leave a review and rate this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Or simply share it on social media 
or send it to a friend. I'm incredibly grateful for your support. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. So drawing and double-clicking on the DoorDash example, excuse me for one second, how was that experience in terms of acknowledging that you felt like you were in over your head, but also it directionally being still the thing that you wanted at that point in your career? Like, how did you reconcile like being in a really amazing opportunity, but also kind of being, I'm sure some days kind of being like, oh crap, yeah, like this is, this is tough. Yeah. So, so in full, in full candor, Al, for the first three or four months, every single morning I woke up with a pit in my stomach and like, uh, I don't know if I can, can do this. I was worried that maybe I had oversold kind of my skills and the, the leader that I was. And I was about two weeks into the job and just feeling stressed and overwhelmed. And I remember talking to my dad and I was like, hey, I think I made a bad decision coming here. Like, not that the company wasn't great, but just like I stepped into this role that I I am unqualified to be in. And he's like, well, like, can you go back to LinkedIn? And I was like, no. He's like, do you have any other options? I was like, no. He's like, okay, well, you just got to make the most of it. And it was kind of a pat on the back of like, well, you 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 got this, and I, and I think that was that was it. There were no real opportunities, uh, or there were no real options outside of that. And after three or four months, I mean, you just do something really hard for long enough, and eventually, like it it gets it gets easier. And I found that like I loved that environment. Like at LinkedIn, the performance review process may have been a three or four month process. And there were teams of people all coming together. When I first joined DoorDash, I had like three days to plan what our performance reviews were going to look like. And we were going to execute the whole process in uh, a couple of weeks. And so I, I just learned at a startup, you have to adjust, you have to change how you're operating and I think it went from being stressful and overwhelming to, oh wow, like I just I just love the the pace at which we're which we're moving at. It was so much fun. Sure. And I, I appreciate the though the honesty in that because I think sometimes it's easy to gloss over the fact of sometimes the things that are what we directionally want, sometimes can be also really difficult and really yeah. challenging. And there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance there. But not to mention that to the point. Uh, you, you you said in your transparency, uh, sometimes it's very easy, particularly in those things to gloss over and just say, oh, well, it, it worked out. But no, there's a reality of there were some really hard days where I'm sure you wondered if it, if it was going to work out, right? And it wasn't something that was just a, a no brainer. Like there was a little bit of uncertainty or perhaps a little bit of questioning at some point of, is this the thing? And, and certainly it turned out okay. And there's a lot, there's a lot more there there in the journey, I guess, is what I'm su suggesting. Yeah. And sometimes what, what perhaps meets the eye or perhaps sometimes what we're willing to give us ourselves credit for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Ab absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about, I, I think one of the things I always am curious about, particularly just over the past couple of years is just how COVID-19, obviously it impacted all of us and it impacted all of us in, in perhaps different ways, but particularly someone who has always thought pretty intentionally about their careers and certainly cares about their career. And did, did, did COVID, you know, change or influence your own views on your job or your career at all? Yeah. So at the beginning of COVID, there was this, there's this big, this big panic, uh, especially around, I'll, I'll start with DoorDash. I, I don't want to speak to kind of the greater nation and the pandemic and all the impacts. I'll, 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 I'll keep it a little more narrow in, in terms of work and careers. 
there was this concern of like, well, what what do we what do we do as a business? But after like a couple of weeks and things, there was this kind of new norm of like, okay, we can do restaurant delivery. We still need to kind of function within these these parameters of of, of COVID. The DoorDash business actually took off and it was an accelerant. I think it pulled forward a lot of future growth. And so it actually felt kind of uncomfortable as DoorDash as a business really was thriving during this period where many people are just hurting and struggling and losing their losing their jobs. And meanwhile, Door, you know, DoorDash is, is, is hiring faster than, than ever. And so that, that was something I think that was a little bit awkward, but I'm really grateful that I was in that situation to be at a company that had some some tailwinds due to due to COVID. I mean, my, I went from a long commute to no commute. I went from spending a decent amount of time with my family to much more time with my family, which is something I really enjoyed. Work went fully remote. It, it turned out to be really hard on my family. I have four young kids. My oldest at the time was 10. And a couple of the kids were really struggling, like not being able to go to school and doing it over video and we had just moved uh, to a different city within the within the Bay Area. And so during COVID, we actually made the decision as a family to leave the Bay Area, which is something I never thought we would do. And we moved to Southern Utah. And it was late in 2020, Southern Utah, uh, as other parts of the country, I think we're a little bit more relaxed or handled it, it differently than, than California did. And so I was still working remotely, but I uh, was able to buy a house for the first time. Kids were in school. Anyway, it was just a very, very good move for the for the family as a whole. So you recently uh, also made another pivot in your career. Could you share a little bit more about what prompted it and how is it going so far? Yeah. So what prompted it? I, so I, I became a full-time executive coach last year, which is kind of funny if you rewind... 10 or 15 years ago, I never thought that I would be working for myself. I never viewed myself as an entrepreneur. But the journey really starts back at LinkedIn. There was a high potential program where up and coming leaders were given access to executive coaches. And I was involved in in the matching process. And then at DoorDash, one of the young leaders that I was working with really struggled. We were seeing high attrition on the team and low morale, and we had gotten uh, approval to hire a coach for this young leader. And then at the very last second, that that budget was was pulled, and I was frustrated. But ultimately, I, I read through this coaching proposal of how this executive coach was going to partner with this leader. And I was like, I think I can do this. Like, I think I can play the role of, of coach here. And I did. And I implemented a lot of different procedures with the team, created career growth plans, manager development courses. All, all of this work was, was done. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So I made the decision at that point that I wanted to be an executive coach. I'm forever grateful to DoorDash uh, as DoorDash helped sponsor me going through a coaching training and certification process. And I started building a coaching business on the side. And for me, I was like, I'm going to do this eventually. I'm in no rush to do it. But ultimately, early last year, my circumstances changed a little bit and things reached the point where I was like, I think this is the the year 
where we go we go all in and it's been really really fun i know al you you're someone who's going up who's gone off on your own there's some burdens of setting up the llc or figuring out uh benefits insurance and and things like that that are kind of a pain and i think can kind of at times like slow down that jump but once i was able to like get to the other side and and add clients like it's it's really really fun to have autonomy over my schedule and the work that i do uh unfortunately my current manager may be uh as bad as managers that i've had in the past but i have no one to no one to blame for for myself for for that one but anyway i can i can chat more about coaching if you want to but overall it's been it's been a ton of fun yeah well i mean uh, yeah i think i'd love to just double click in just a little bit just in terms of what has it been like in terms of going from working mostly with other employees and you know working in companies with hundreds if not thousands of employees to now being solo in business just for yourself it was a re- it was a really really big jump i feel like in jobs i've had in the past it was very clear at the end of the day if my work was was done and now that i'm working for myself potentially the work is never done and boundaries need to be set. What days am I going to work? What days am I not going to work? I'm still figuring some of that out in full candor, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a work in, it's a work in progress for sure. And what's, uh, I know coaching broadly, but for folks who maybe aren't as familiar, what, what does that entail or who are the type of clients that you serve or tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Coaching means a lot of different things. And so for me, the work I, I do is probably a hybrid of uh, kind of leadership fundamentals of helping leaders to set expectations, hold people accountable, give difficult feedback, all of these kind of core leadership skills. But also there's this other component around mindset and how do you bounce back from challenges. I'd say two thirds, at least as of today, two thirds of the leaders that I, I coach are startup CEOs. And that's like the most stressful job in the world. And so I have clients who are not sleeping. They've put so much into their business that other parts of their lives may be struggling. And so I certainly come to the coaching role from a business mindset, but there's also like, how do I help this person holistically and help them overcome the the challenges that they're facing? And so it's less of, Hey, Al, I have all the answers for you. Here's my playbook. Go do these things. And more of a let's unpack the challenges that you're facing. Let's find a a new insight or a new path forward that uh, helps you solve the the challenges that you're you're facing. And I'll be uh, I'll be a thought partner uh, I'll be a catalyst for, for for that change, and it's I I I love it. You see you see people who are growing in in really meaningful ways and having an impact on on their lives, and I love that one on one connection. So I want to relate two things that I I think you have an acute insight on. So and that is around just because you get to work with leaders quite a bit. What's something you wish more leaders did when it came to developing their people and perhaps more specifically the careers of their people? Yeah, it's, I think every leader should be better at helping people grow in their careers. I think one of the most powerful things that you can do as a leader is to have career growth conversations 
with direct reports. This is something that I always try to do on a quarterly basis. And this is not a like performance review conversation. This is a let's go to Starbucks or let's go grab a cookie or go on a walk. And we're just going to talk about you. What do you want to do? What might you do? What are the strengths that you see? And and you're moving from that role as manager to like coach and advocate and thought partner. And so I think as a leader, if you can help people connect the dots in their in their career or help them figure out what they want to do next, that's one of the most impactful things that that you can do. I will also say this, it it is really really hard. I have a ton of empathy for leaders and now I'm on the other side where I see the most senior people kind of thinking how they can better support people and develop them in their careers. And at times I've probably been too 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 harsh in judging leaders who didn't invest enough time in people's development. Everyone's really, really busy and leaders are busy. And so I would strongly recommend everybody take a more proactive role in managing their career. Yes, your manager should play a big role in doing this. They're really busy. They may not, they may not do this in a great way, but like push them. Uh, encourage them, create space with them. And like, you should be the driver of of this. Maybe last question here before we get to the speed round, just to tie some of this all together. If you could look back and perhaps reflect just how far you've come since business school, some of the changes that you've made, I'd be curious to know what role did going to business school, particularly at that point in your life, really play in your own development and growth as you think about how you've grown and developed since then. Yeah. Yeah. For for me, business school was essential. What I needed getting an MBA was space. I needed space to think, to experiment, to try things out without a lot of pressure of like, okay, I need to do this or make this decision or, or whatnot. And so I really benefited from the exposure that came from business school. I think at times business school was a a, a playground uh, of sorts, not from like it was all like fun and games, but just like there were all of these things that I could try out and case competitions and like mini internships and guest speakers. There was just so much exposure that was really valuable for me. And and then I'd also say the relationships. Like they, I met so many awesome people that I keep in touch with today, both classmates of mine, uh, and professors. And so it was, yeah, yes, it was sac- uh, a big sacrifice. Yes, it was not the cheapest thing, but it was just one of the most rewarding experiences that I've had. One of uh, my colleagues, uh, Tina Mabley, she's the uh, assistant dean at the Texas McComb School of Business, but mm. she oftentimes refers to it as a as a test kitchen, which mm-hmm. I think really jives with your analogy of, of the playground. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree more. Okay. I love that. So uh, let's wrap it up here, uh, get into the speed round. And so uh, these are the couple of questions I, I love to ask each guest. And so starting off, Nathan, what does career success mean to you? Career success to me is being excited every morning to get up and go into work. And then at the end of the day, being excited to go back home and be with family or, you know, pursue whatever, whatever it is. That's it. Like if you're, 
if you have energy for the work you're doing, but also the energy then to kind of go be with the the people you care about or do the things that you love outside of work, like that's, that's success. Who is a leader you admire and respect? If I can cheat and share three, and they're all, they're all different. Uh, the first is Tony Shu from DoorDash. I had the opportunity to work really closely with him. Just a relentless focus on improvement and regularly pushed people and challenged people to be their best. I think that's something that all great leaders do. The second is Joseph Woodbury, who I worked very close with, uh, closely with at Neighbor. And he was willing to be unpopular and willing to stand up for principles. And he was unwavering in a lot of different ways. And the third, uh, I would say, is Liz Wiseman. Uh, someone I got to know in the in the Bay Area. Uh, she's the author of Multipliers and other books, but someone who I think is genuinely authentic to who they are, very down to earth, but also growth focused and you know, continuously focused on improvement. Those are those are a couple leaders. Those are all great examples. Okay, last question: What is one piece of career advice that was so good you have to share it with others? So this advice uh, comes from Pitbull, Mister Worldwide. One of his songs starts with, ask for money and get advice. Ask for advice, get money twice. I think it might be this feeling. I forget the name of the song. But it's very unconventional advice. You don't often look to Pitbull here uh, for career advice. But, but what my takeaway from this, at least in a career setting, is like, ask for money, get advice. Like, if you're going around being very direct and saying like, hey, I need a job or I need this, I need this, people are going to give you advice. But if you, this gets back to the conversation we had earlier, if you approach people in a kind way, asking for their help, looking for support, asking for things that they're uniquely qualified to help with, then you'll you'll get money twice. Um, and this is especially true in informational interviews. I think that's one of the most effective ways to go out and get a job, the indirect approach. And so I got to go with, uh, with my man Pitbull uh, on that advice. I, I have not yet had someone give me an answer with the with a direct quote from Pitbull, but I, I am thrilled that you did. And I think that's a great way to, to end this episode. Nathan Tanner, it's always great to chat with you. I appreciate you coming back on. If listeners want to find out about your business or just about some of your work, where can they go and where can they find you? Yeah, I'm very active on LinkedIn. It's Nathan Tanner, put my, my name in the search. Uh, and then nathantanner.net. Uh, is my site. Uh, would love to love to connect. And uh, thank you so much, Al. I uh, really appreciate this. Hi, everyone. Al D here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.